0: My name is Paul, if we haven't met, uh, and we are going to be continuing our study in the book of Genesis today. Um, We're we're basically going back to the beginning, you know, where, how, why did everything get started? And over the last few weeks, we've seen um, how God created everything, how he spoke it into existence, and that what he created was good. And we also saw that he created people, he created man and woman, and we were to be the pinnacle of his creation and that he gave a job to Adam and Eve to oversee everything that he had created. And at that point in time, everything was perfect. And then we got to chapter three and that's where it all went downhill. That's when Adam and Eve decided to go their own way. They decided to rebel against God, disregard what, what he had to say and what he had planned for them. In short, they sinned. And with that sin, we saw immediate effects on them. They had to be thrown out of the paradise that they were in. And death entered the world and creation was fractured. So kind of a bleak picture of of where we left off. And we're going to be picking up that story today in Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to see how the effects of sin have continued to impact the world. And specifically by, I would say, history's most famous brothers, Cain and Abel and uh, Keith was right there's a lot of drama so if you like drama this is this is the chapter for you but what i want to do is kind of look beyond the drama i want to look beyond the actions that take place and i want to see why things are happening when we're focusing on the words and actions what i want us to do is look at what it reveals about the hearts of those involved we're going to be doing a heart exam of sorts today. We're going to be looking at Cain's heart. We're going to be looking at the heart of Abel. We're going to see God's heart. And the other thing I really want us to do is dive in and look at our own hearts in relation to what we see happening here. So, with that, let's just take a moment to pray and then we will dive in. Father, thank you for the chance to be here today. It's no accidents. You have us all here for a reason, and I ask today, Father, we're going to be asking some challenging questions um, as we look inwardly and and see the state of our hearts, and I just ask, Father, that you allow us all to be open to what you want us to hear, what you want us to see, and I just pray for the Holy Spirit to be active and, and in this room today. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to do, we're going to read through the entire chapter um, so you get the full story, and then we'll come back and we'll break everything down. So uh, it's up on the screen, and again, we're in uh, Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahudala, and Mahujal fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then let Lamech's then Lamech is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth, for she said, "God has appointed to me, or appointed for me, another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him." To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Awful lot there, let alone the names. That's going to be the quiz at the end is going through that whole genealogy of names. So I hope you found that. What we're seeing here is a story that's spanning generations in in just a couple of verses here. Um, And so we're going to step back a little bit and start breaking that down. We're really going to focus on the the first 16 verses in particular and see what that shows us. But then we're going to show um, the second half and how that plays in as well. So with that, I want us to start our heart exams. We're going to be looking at three in particular. We're going to look at Cain, we're going to look at Abel, and I want us to look at our own. Now at the beginning of the story, there's not a lot of background given on the childhoods or the lives of Cain and Abel. All we know is this, Cain was the firstborn, he was a farmer, Abel was the younger brother, and he was a shepherd. Then the next thing we see in Scripture is that they're interacting with God. And they're doing this by bringing him a gift or an offering. We see it in verses 3 and 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, when I read that, I'm like, okay, this is a good start. Because where Adam and Eve left off, not great relationship with God, right? But here, it seems like their sons at least have a relationship with him. You know, they are both bringing him an offering, and it seems that they understand that God is holy and worthy of praise, so that seems like they're they're on the right track. But then we get to the rest of verse 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. God accepted what Abel brought. He didn't accept what Cain brought. I remember the first time hearing this as a kid. I mean, Cain and Abel is one of those, you know, the accounts that you hear all the time. And I was thinking, God, that's kind of harsh. Like, they're both bringing you something, you know, stuff that they have. They seem to be doing the right things. You know, they're going through the right motions. But and when that thought popped in my head as I was preparing for the sermon, I realized I, I had two big flaws in that line of thinking. The first one was, I was judging God's actions through my perspective, rather than the flip. So, sermon for another day, but that's a good thing to remember when you're reading scripture. But the second thing I realized was, I was really only looking at the surface. Yes, they both brought something, but what was behind it? What was in their hearts that was fueling why they were doing it in the first place? So that's what I want to do. Let's dig a little bit deeper and see what is reflected in their hearts. What was in Abel's that made God accept what he, or or that God accepted what he brought in in Cain's heart that had a rejection with it? Hebrews 11.4 gives us a really specific answer. It's nice when scripture does that for us. It says this. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God gave approval to his gifts. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. Faith is what differentiated their gifts. In his heart and the core of who he was, Abel had faith in God, Cain didn't. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, okay, I see that in Hebrew. But where are we seeing that in the text here in Genesis? Look back at verses 3 and 4 and how their offerings are described. In the course of time, Cain brought uh, the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, Moses, who wrote Genesis, is making a really clear distinction here between the quality of the offerings that they're bringing. It may not mean much to us today because we're just not in that culture, but particularly at this time, there was a huge difference in what they were bringing. Let's look at what Abel brought first. It says, he brought the firstborn of his flock, and by doing that, he is showing tremendous faith. How? There are no Wegmans, there's no Wawa, there's no pizza joint. This guy wanted to eat, he had sheep, right? And there's no guarantee. If he's giving his firstborn over, that's the best he has. There's no guarantee those other sheep are going to have more sheep. What he's doing is giving his life over. That's his livelihood. It's his security. It's it's, it's all his possession. And he's turning that over to God. That's what it's saying with that firstborn sheep. He really believed God was going to provide what he needed. And that part about the fat portions that he brought, those were considered to be like the richest, most choice part of the animal. So another thing we're seeing about Abel's heart is instead of keeping the good stuff for himself, he's giving that over to God as well. You know, in, in essence, he's saying, you deserve the best that I have. I'm not holding anything back from you because if I have you, I'm set. I don't need anything else. Now, on the flip side, when Moses describes Cain's gift, he simply describes it as an offering. There's nothing distinct about it. Now, I, you kind of get the sense that, that Cain is just going through the motions. You know, he did the quote-unquote... Right, religious thing, he brought an offering, but because he didn't bring his best, he is absolutely showing us his heart. He wasn't focused on God, he was focused on himself. You now, I've been finding every time I do a sermon, God grills me. <laughs> so I'm studying this, and, and when I thought about this, It really led me to start asking some some tough questions and and I'd like to ask you those same questions today where's your heart focused what mindset I ask myself this what mindset do I fall into am I more like Abel or am I more like Cain do I have the kind of faith in God that I can trust him that he's going to provide everything I need that I'm going to give him my best because that's what he deserves Or do I hedge my bets sometimes? Do I maybe hold back and keep some of that stuff because maybe I'm not trusting completely. I need to make sure I'm taking care of myself. You know, maybe I'm giving God leftovers. Maybe I'm giving him nothing at all. Sometimes am I just going through the motions? Is my heart really in the offering or the serving that I'm giving to God? Now, as I was chewing on these, one of the things that the Holy Spirit put into my mind was how I used to view giving to the church. Um, Several years ago, I I, I would do it because it was kind of the right thing to do. But if I'm being honest, I gave as little as I could without feeling overly guilty about it. You know, you got your little envelope. But my heart wasn't it. I wanted the money. I worked hard for it. I want to spend it on something. You know, so I was just going through the motions. And the other thing that the Holy Spirit brought to mind, and it's embarrassing to say, but I wanted people to see me putting that envelope in the basket. I wanted them to hand it down and say, oh, look, there's a, a nice God-fearing young man, and look at him supporting the church. I didn't know how much was in the envelope. What an egomaniac, right? I'm sitting there thinking everybody's watching me. Look, My heart was so much like Cain's. So much like Keynes. And then that had me thinking, all right, well, I, I, you know, thankfully God has helped me in that. He, he's helped me to see how selfish I was being, how self-centered I was being. And then he opened up the door. Well, what does that look like in other areas of my life? My family, my work, my community, how I spend my free time? Am I trusting God in all those areas of my life? Am I giving him my best in all those areas of my life? I'd like to tell you the answer was a resounding yes, but it wasn't, (laughs) but it's it's getting better. (laughs) You know, One of the things I love about God, he is so patient and he brings us along and I can look back and I can see the changes he's made. And that's one of the things I hope for you today as well. When you put your faith in God, he will bring you along. You may not be where you want to be, but you're not where you were. I know I'm plagiarizing that from somebody, but it's the truth. Abel brought his best because he had faith in God and God accepted his offering. Cain's faith was in himself, his was rejected. Here's one of the things I want you to remember today. God is always focused on the heart of the giver more than the gift itself. He is more concerned about what is in here than what you're handing over or what you're doing because that directs, it shows your motivation. Now, at the risk of carrying this whole heart exam analogy a little too far, I wanna do an even further heart exam on Cain and I want us to start taking a look at um, God's heart and how it's revealed in the interactions that they have in the rest of this chapter. So we left off with Cain's offering that's been rejected by God. How does Cain respond? Verse 5 says this Cain was very angry, and his face fell. He threw a temper tantrum. I'm picturing a five year old, you know, walking around, and man, God doesn't like me, and man, that Abel is just a show off, and man, you know, I brought stuff that was good too. Like I just it, don't you get, I mean, he's just angry he pouts. What does that show us further? It's just a further revelation of his heart. He was totally focused on himself. He didn't care how God felt about the gift that he was giving to God. How about, oh man, I brought you something, you didn't like it, maybe feel a little bad about it. No, he was totally focused on himself. Now with that in mind, let's look and get a glimpse of God's heart and how he responded to Cain. In verses six and seven, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Does God start yelling at Cain? Does he throw his hands up and say, I'm out, that's it, you don't want to do that? No. He talks to him. Look at how God's heart is revealed here, how loving and patient he's being with Cain. God is trying to have a reasonable conversation with him. You know, He's warning Cain about the dangers of the path he's on. He's giving him advice on how to make a turn, make a correction. And I really love this. He's exposing the fault in Cain's thinking by letting him, by letting Cain arrive there. He's not lecturing him. When God's asking you questions, it's not because he's looking for the answer. He wants you to arrive there. And look at this as well. God's not forcing Cain to comply. He's not bending his arm behind his back and saying, you will do that. He's giving him a choice. To me right here, this is the pivotal point in Cain's life. He has a choice. How is he going to respond? He's been called out, and his sinful heart has been revealed. God's giving him a chance to say, I am sorry. I screwed up. My heart wasn't with you. Honestly, my heart hasn't been with you, but I want it to be. Can you help me? He's got that choice right there to make. So does Cain take advantage of it? We already read it, so you know the answer is no. You know, according to the scripture, it just, it ends. It's like he didn't even respond. I believe what he did is he doubled down right there and said, I'm digging in. This is my position. And again, that had me asking myself some really hard questions, thinking about this. How do I respond when I'm confronted with my sin? And not just the big ones. And the, okay, I didn't kill anybody today, yay, good for me, right? I'm talking about the small ones. Think about what Cain did. He brought an offering. I mean, that didn't seem, but it, you know, not great. But it revealed a serious problem in his heart. It's those little things. There are no little sins. They separate us from God. So I'm asking myself, how do I respond in those little things? That not giving my best has been sitting on my chest for a while now. Am I giving my best? Because I ultimately work for God. He owns me. You know, do I humble myself? Do I admit to it? Do I own it? Do I go to God and ask for forgiveness and and just receive his help? Or like Cain, do I double down and deflect? Do I blame others? Do I look outwardly instead of looking inwardly? They're tough questions, and again, I'd like to say that the answer was a resounding yes, I do the right thing, but it's not. There are areas, and I'm so glad I did that because God is showing me areas I still need to turn over. He's still showing me how much I need him. But I'm really glad I did it, and I really hope, I encourage you to ask yourself those questions this week as well. Because I think just like Cain, that's a pivotal decision-making point for each one of us. How are we going to respond when confronted with our sin. So what happens next? Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were there in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. This is such a clear picture of the dangers of letting our sin go unchecked. Just look at what happened here with Cain. He couldn't get past his pride. He couldn't let go of jealousy and anger. He refused to acknowledge the seriousness of his sin, that one little thing, he didn't bring his best. What has that led to, the death of his brother? He couldn't admit his mistakes and he didn't take the word of God to heart. He's having conversations with God and he's just not taking it in. Ultimately, he's unable and I believe unwilling to ask for forgiveness. Now, obviously, I'm not saying if our sin goes unchecked, we're all going to go on a murderous rampage. That's not the point. But the point is, it compounds itself. Sin leads to more sin. And if you don't do something about it, it grows and grows, just as we see what happened with Cain. You know, that's why one of the philosophies that, I, you know, you, you certainly hear is, you know, I'm going to live my life, I'm going to be fine, I'm going to do what I want, and on my deathbed, yep, God, I'm sorry, and I'll, I'll get forgiveness and everything will be okay. That can happen, and it does happen, but what are we seeing here? This pattern of sin, there's two big flaws in that philosophy. The first one is, we're not guaranteed beyond where we are right now. We don't know how many opportunities we're going to have to ask God for forgiveness. But here's the other one, and I, I just as scary to me, is if, if sin goes unchecked in my life, how hard is my heart going to be? How stubborn am I going to become that I don't want to ask for forgiveness? You might get to that point where you've just lived in rebellion against God and doing what you want, and, and your heart could just be that hard. God doesn't force us, he gives us that choice. There's two proverbs that that point this out. Proverbs 28:14 says, "Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity." And Proverbs 29:1 says, "He who often is reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing." Cain is absolutely the poster child for the stiff neck club, right? He did not want to turn. I I think my picture is kind of on the bottom corner. You know, I won't won't just throw Cain out there alone. How often are we like that, that we just don't want to turn? It's all about control. It's all about trying to control our own lives and not surrendering to Jesus. Well, Unfortunately, we're seeing what these Proverbs say play out even more in Cain's life. When you look at uh, verses 9 through 16, we just see this calamity coming true. You know, not only has he committed murder, he lies to God about it, even as God is giving him another opportunity to come clean and repent. Just look at what he says back in in verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. How am am I my brother's keeper? The audacity of that statement, again, God's not asking because he doesn't know what happened. He knows what happened. He's giving Cain another olive branch, another chance to say, man, I'm off the deep end, help me, and Cain throws it in his face. At this point, Cain's heart is just rock solid. In the rest of the chapter, we just see more and more evidence of that. He refuses to ask for forgiveness, and he only gets upset because he gets busted and gets the punishment that he deserves. It's like, oh, you're casting me out. I'm not going to be able to see. People might kill me. He's not upset about actually killing his brother. He's not upset about what that might have done to his mom and dad. And he's certainly not upset. We can see this. He's not upset about what that's doing to God or what God thinks about. He's only, he is so focused on himself. And what we see in the last half of chapter 4 We see that Cain's sin not only has an impact on him and what's happening right now in that situation and then what goes forward in his life, it's impacting generations. It's his, I think, three greats. Great-great-great-grandson, Lamech, commits murder, and he points back to great-great-great-grandpop. great great grandpa. is danger for each one of us to not deal with our sin, not just personally, but how it affects our family, how it affects our kids, our grandkids, how it affects our community. And the cost of that can be absolutely huge. But here's the awesome thing. It doesn't have to. There is a way out for us. We've seen God's heart. Just, just think about how he interacted with Cain. He wanted Cain to be reconciled with him. He wants that same thing with us. You know, we learned early on that, that original sin with Adam and Eve, we've all inherited that. We're all separated from God, and he doesn't want that. That's not his heart. So, how can we get back to him? You know, we've seen in his interactions with Cain. Yeah, his patience, his love, his gentleness. We've seen um, him give guidance. We've seen him um, have the willingness to forgive. And we've also seen his holiness. We've seen his righteousness, and we've seen his judgment on sin. So how does that all square? How can you be totally loving and totally just? And here's the answer that love and justice of God comes together perfectly with Jesus on the cross. He loved us so much that Jesus was willing to come down from his place in heaven, live a perfect life, take on our sin, and then receive the punishment that we deserved for that. That's the good news of the gospel. That's where God's love and justice comes together. He took the judgment on himself. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Eve all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Jesus is the one that God promised that would crush evil and sin. So what do we do with all that? I want you to walk away today and do your own heart exam. You know, if you're following Jesus, we've asked, I've asked some pretty challenging questions today. I encourage you to pray on that this week, and really ask God to reveal things to you. Are you giving Him your best? Does your life reflect the fact that you say you are a believer in Jesus and that you're following Him? How do you respond when you're confronted with your sin? Do your relationships with other people reflect the way God was interacting with Cain? If the answer, to no, the answer to any of those is no, that's okay. It doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. That's sealed. Once you receive the gift of grace from Jesus, you, you are saved. But what this tells us is there's areas in our lives where our faith needs to grow. It's how God wants to continue to turn us into the, the men and women and kids that, that, that he wants us to be. Now, if you're here today and you haven't made that decision yet to follow Jesus, just like Cain, you have a choice to make. God's not going to force you. That's not what a relationship is. You know, we saw the the death and destruction uh, that came in Cain's life. But here's the thing. Receiving Jesus because you're worried about that bad stuff that might happen that's not really going to change your heart. You're doing it out of fear. What's really going to change your heart is when you see and understand and just receive what Jesus did on the cross. When you understand how much he loves you. If you were the only person on the planet, he would have died for you on the cross because he loves you that much and he wants to be with you. He wants us to be back in fellowship with God. if you haven't received that gift yet, I I, I wanna give everybody an opportunity now. Actually, if we could just bow our heads. If I could ask the band to come up. If you're here today and you're hearing God's word, you're hearing that we have a choice and you're ready to make that choice to follow Jesus, I wanna lead you in a prayer it's not the specific words, but it's just a way for you to just verbalize what's in your heart. And you can pray it right there in your seats with me. Father, I am broken. I've lived my entire life rebelling against you. My heart's been on the wrong path. And that path has taken me further and further from you. But as of right now, I want that to change. I believe what scripture tells me, that if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead, I will be saved. And I profess that right now, that Jesus is Lord. And I do believe you raised him from the dead. And I gladly accept your gift of forgiveness.